Once, in an age unmarked by the passage of days or the change of seasons, there was a kingdom where the line between light and dark was as clear as the dawn from the dusk. This realm, governed by the monarch, a sovereign of unparalleled wisdom and benevolence, stood as a bastion of light against the encroaching darkness beyond its borders. The monarch's light was not just a metaphor for goodness, it was a tangible force that shielded the lands, kept the fields fertile, and the people content. Adjacent to this kingdom was the abyss, a chasm of unfathomable depth and malevolence, from where no traveler returned. It was said to be the source of all darkness, a place where nefarious creatures and lost souls roamed in eternal night. A labyrinth in its own right, the abyss would twist and turn upon itself, reshaping its horrors with each passing moment. A fateful event shattered the tranquility of the kingdom. During a night of sinister portent, a shadowy legion surged forth from the abyss. It overran the castle defenses with terrifying ease, and the unthinkable occurred, the monarch was seized. This act was a wound to the realm itself, for with the monarch's light dimmed and confined, darkness crept into the land. Crops withered, despair flourished, and hope became a scarce commodity. Amidst this turmoil, the kingdom's council, a collective of the wise and the brave, beseeched the knight to embark on a perilous quest. Known across the lands for indomitable courage and a heart untainted by fear, the knight was the paragon of the kingdom's chivalry and its most formidable protector. This knight, garbed in armor that had repelled both steel and sorcery, was the people's bastion, as the monarch was to the realm. With solemn determination, the knight accepted the burden, knowing full well that this journey might be the last. For the path into the abyss was a descent not just into danger, but into a darkness that hungered for the light within one's soul. A darkness that promised power for those who would dare to let it embrace them, at the cost of their very essence. As the night set forth, the gateway to the abyss loomed, a moor of swirling mists and shadows that hungered for the brave. The air around it was cold and still, as if life did not breathe in its presence. With a silent prayer to the ancient forces of light, the knight stepped into the gloom, the world of light at their back, and an uncertain path ahead, not merely to rescue a ruler, but to save the very heart of the kingdom from being consumed by the encroaching shadow. This was the beginning of a tale that would be etched into the very fabric of the realm's history, a saga of light against dark, of sacrifice and courage, where the very nature of a soul would be contested in the battle against a seemingly indomitable foe. The knight, armored in the legacy of the kingdom's greatest warriors, stood at the precipice of the abyss, where light fell into shadow without a trace. The descent began with a pathway that coiled down like the innards of some colossal beast, each step taking the knight further from the sky's embrace. Above, the last sliver of light vanished, swallowed whole by the gaping maw of the abyssal entrance. Silence, oppressive and thick, was the first guardian of the abyss. It was a silence that sought to crush the will, a void where even the sound of the knight's own footsteps was devoured. As eyes adjusted to the black, the darkness seemed to move, to thicken, becoming almost palpable. The air was heavy, laden with ancient magic and the breath of things that had never known the sun. The knight's hand rested on the hilt of the blade, the only ally in this forsaken descent. The path unraveled like a spool of darkness, 
leading through archways carved from stone that was not quarried but grown, twisted by the abyss's own hand. Stalactites and stalagmites framed the night's path, some looking eerily like the figures of those who had come before and failed, their forms now nothing more than part of the abyssal landscape. Here in the gloom, where sight was a treacherous sense, the night relied on other senses, the ones honed by battles fought in the dark against foes unseen. The chill of the air hinted at openings in the path, while shifts in the whispering drafts spoke of creatures that lurked waiting for the unwary. As the night ventured deeper, the darkness began to stir, a sign that the abyss had taken notice of the intruder. Shapes flitted at the edge of vision, beings that were once perhaps men or beasts, now twisted beyond recognition by the abyssal influence. The very walls seemed to breathe, exhaling a miasma that could corrupt flesh and spirit alike. There was no turning back, not because the path behind had vanished, but because the night carried the weight of an entire kingdom, the hope of a people who now lived in the shadow of an impending doom. Each step forward was a step away from sanity, from light, from life as it was known. Yet, it was these steps that defined the night, that marked the indomitable nature of the human spirit, even as the abyss sought to snuff it out. The deeper realms of the labyrinth beckoned, where no mortal was meant to tread, and where the darkness whispered of power and of secrets that could turn the tide against the encroaching night. With every moment in the suffocating gloom, the descent became not just a physical journey, but a plunge into the depths of the night's own being, where light and dark waged an eternal war. Deeper still into the heart of the abyss, the night encountered the whispers. They were not sounds that could be heard with the ears, they resonated directly within the mind, an intimate murmur of the dark. They spoke of power, of strength beyond mortal ken, a balm to ease the journey and ensure victory. Each whisper was like a drop of ink in clear water, spreading, threatening to turn clarity into shadow. The darkness was alive with ancient magic, a force that had been old when the kingdom was but a dream. It seeped through the cracks in the knight's armor, probing, seeking the warmth of a living soul to corrupt. The abyssal energy presented itself as a gift, a tool for the knight to wield against the myriad horrors that lay ahead. With every battle won, every impossible chasm crossed, and every riddle solved, the knight felt the abyss's essence seep into sinew and bone. It was seductive, the way the darkness simplified the struggle, how it made the knight faster, stronger, almost invincible. The blade cut through shadow flesh as if it were air, and wounds that would have been fatal closed as if never inflicted. But with this power came a cost, a gnawing at the mind, a whisper that turned into a cacophony. The knight's thoughts began to fracture, dreams of home and duty tainted with visions of ruling over the abyss itself, of becoming a sovereign of shadow. The very essence of the knight, the valor, the integrity, began to erode, like a cliff face against a relentless tide. Sanity flickered like a flame in a tempest. Memories of the kingdom, of the people the knight was sworn to protect, became distant, as if they belonged to someone else. The knight's own reflection became a stranger, eyes that once held the light of stars now shimmering with an otherworldly gleam. The knight's will, however, was forged in the fires of purpose. Each time the darkness sought to overwhelm, the knight clung to the mission, to the image of the monarch, 
the embodiment of the light that was now but a distant star in the abyssal night. This tether, frayed and worn, was enough to pull back from the brink, to don the armor not just of steel but of resolve, and move forward. To resist was to remain alone, for the abyss had no allies to offer, only the false promise of dominion over shadows. With each refusal, the knight was reminded that the true power lay not in the dark whispers, but in the unwavering spirit that even the abyss could not consume. This was the true challenge, the real test of metal, not to dominate the darkness, but to traverse it, to harness it, without losing oneself to its seductive lull. Within the depths where the knight had become a mere wraith traversing the boundless night, there loomed a presence that dwarfed all other encounters. A guardian, ancient as the abyss itself, a behemoth carved from the very bedrock of this sunless realm, barred the way. Its form was an amalgam of the labyrinth's enduring stone and the creeping darkness that animated it, a sentinel of the deep, impervious to time and fear. The cavern that housed this colossal sentry was a cathedral of natural architecture, vast and echoing with the silence of eons. Here, the darkness was not just absence of light, it seemed to have weight, a pressure that sought to crush intruders beneath its oppressive will. The guardian stood motionless, a monolith, until the knight's presence disturbed the ancient air, awakening the stone behemoth from its watchful slumber. A battle commenced, one that was less a conflict of flesh and blood and more a clashing of primal forces. The guardian moved with a grace that belied its gargantuan size, every strike a blow that could shatter mountains, every defense an unyielding wall against which the sea of time itself broke. The knight, in contrast, was swiftness and resolve, a darting shadow that defied the crushing inevitability of the stone. The knight's blade, an heirloom of the kingdom, sung a mournful dirge with each arc and thrust. It was a song of the surface world, of wind and sky, a lament that yearned for release from this subterranean nightmare. Sparks flew as steel met stone, the clash ringing out like the tolling of a great bell, resonating through the cavernous chamber. In this clash of titans, the knight suffered wounds both physical and unseen. Stone shattered armor as easily as darkness shattered light. Yet, for every gash and rent in the metal, for every line of blood drawn, the knight felt the abyss's power pulse within, sealing flesh, mending bone, urging the weary body to stand when it should have fallen. The darkness within acted as an unbidden ally, demanding control, promising victory. As the guardian faltered, its form beginning to crack and crumble, the knight faced a moment of harrowing truth. With each swing of the blade, the knight was not just cleaving through the stone of the guardian but was also fracturing the remnants of a once impermeable resolve. The price of power was etched into the knight's very soul, the abyssal darkness not just a weapon but a whispering architect reshaping the hero into something other. With a final, defiant effort, the Guardian was subdued, reduced to rubble and a memory of might. The way forward lay open, the abyss seemingly retreatful in the face of the knight's determination. Yet, this victory was a pyrrhic one. The knight, now limping past the fallen Guardian, bore the invisible scars of the battle, each one a testament to the price of succumbing to the Abyss's dark allure, even in the noblest of causes. Beyond the remnants of the Guardian, the Knight discovered an expanse that contradicted the nature of the Abyss, a hall of mirrors, not of glass but of smooth, 
obsidian surfaces, each pane a window to the soul. The darkness here was not an absence of light but a reflection of it, twisted and distorted. This was the domain of introspection, a place where the night was forced to confront the self that had been, the self that was, and the self that might yet be. The night, now bearing the weight of the abyss's gifts, approached the first mirror. It revealed not the visage of armor and flesh but the core of the night spirit, a luminous figure with a heart blazing like a star, the essence of chivalry and courage. Yet, as the night watched, the light began to wane, eclipsed by creeping tendrils of shadow that sought to smother the brightness within. Each subsequent mirror showed a different aspect of the night's journey, a step further along the path of corruption. Here was the knight bestowing mercy upon a fallen enemy, the reflection showed mercy as weakness, the enemy's life a resource untapped. There, the knight resisted the temptation of power, the reflection twisted it into folly, the relinquishing of strength that could assure victory over the abyss. The knight witnessed, in these panes of shadowed glass, the internal struggle that had remained unseen but deeply felt, a battle waged within the mind and the soul against an encroaching darkness that promised simplicity and control in exchange for humanity. The mirrors did not lie, they merely exposed truths hidden by the light of day, now laid bare in the honesty of darkness. This was not a battle to be fought with steel. No swing of the blade could shatter these revelations. The abyss had crafted a weapon that cut not flesh but conviction, a test to see whether the knight would embrace or reject the burgeoning darkness within. Each reflection was a siren's call to surrender, to accept the power that the abyss offered, and to let the fading image of the knight's former self vanish into obscurity. To move beyond the Hall of Mirrors was to acknowledge the darkness, to see it not as an enemy but as an inseparable element of self. With every step, the knight accepted the taint that had settled within, the power that had been both salvation and curse. And with acceptance came control, not over the darkness, but over the choice to let it define the knight's destiny. The knight emerged from the Hall of Mirrors changed, the abyssal essence remained, a stark reminder of the knight's trials, yet it was held at bay, a silent observer rather than the puppeteer it sought to be. The knight's eyes, which once held the clarity of the kingdom's sky, now carried a depth that was unnerving, a profound understanding that the line between light and dark was as thin as the blade they wielded. Past the hall of introspective mirrors, the knight came upon a vast subterranean expanse where the darkness felt moist and heavy. In its midst flowed a river, but not one carrying water. It was a river of voices, ethereal and fluid, a stream of murmurs and cries that coiled around the night like a living fog. This was the river of whispers, carrying the laments of those who had fallen to the abyss, their regrets and final thoughts adrift in its spectral current. The whispers were as varied as the souls they once belonged to, a cacophony of joys, sorrows, triumphs and defeats. To listen too closely was to be drawn into their tales, to be overwhelmed by the sheer weight of past lives and their unfulfilled destinies. The river's flow was a melody of despair, each note a pang of loss or a crescendo of yearning, and the night felt its pull on the very fabric of their spirit. Crossing the river was an ordeal that tested the night's resolve. Each step into the murky flow brought forth a torrent of voices, each whisper a needle to the psyche, a piercing reminder of what was at stake. 
These were not merely the regrets of the fallen. They were the echoes of the night's own potential fate, a future where the voice of the night might join this lamentable chorus. The river's whispers offered a litany of warnings. They spoke of the insidious nature of the abyss, of its inexhaustible hunger for the light of souls. They prophesied doom, the futility of resistance, and the inevitability of succumbing to the dark. But within this dirge, there were also threads of hope, remnants of courage that had once defied the abyss, albeit for a fleeting moment. The night, with every fiber of being focused on the far shore, waded through the river with a steadfast heart. Each step was a struggle, not against a physical force but a psychological tempest that sought to drown the will and cloud the mind with doubt. With the river reaching up as if to claim the night as another lost soul, the murmurs crescendoed to a deafening roar, a symphony of despair that aimed to shatter resolve. Yet, the night endured. Clutching the hilt of the blade as if it were the kingdom's lifeline, the night moved with a purpose that transcended the self. The river's grip loosened, the voices faded, and the far shore drew nearer with each labored stride. Emerging from the river of whispers, the night was drenched not in water but in the residue of countless faded dreams and extinguished hopes, the legacy of the fallen who now bore silent witness to this lonely vigil against the darkness. The journey continued, the night now carrying the weight of the river's lament, a burden that was both a warning and a ward, a reminder that to forget the past was to walk blindly into the moor of future perils. The river of whispers deposited the night at the mouth of a cavern, one that breathed a chilling exhale, promising no return to those who entered its gaping moor. Here was the domicile of souls unclaimed by death yet refused by life, a purgatory crafted by the abyss's cruel design. The night paused at the threshold, the whispers of the river now replaced by a silence so profound it seemed to herald the cessation of all things. As the night ventured inside, the silence fractured, giving way to a chorus of ethereal wails. The cavern of lost spirits was an immense vault, its ceiling lost to darkness, its walls lined with faces that shifted and wreathed within the stone, a grotesque mural of suffering. These were the souls of those claimed by the abyss, their essence forever etched into its confines, denied the peace of oblivion. The spirits sensed the night, a being of warmth in their cold prison, and they stirred. Their forms, pale and translucent, drifted through the air like smoke, coalescing into shapes that were once human. Their eyes, hollow with the emptiness of the abyss, fixed upon the night with desperate longing. They reached out, hands that wanted to touch, to feel, to remember the life they had lost. Each spirit bore the mark of their demise, warriors with ethereal blades still embedded in their forms, scholars with their spectral tomes chained to their wrists, children whose silent weeping was a sound that could unravel the heart. The night, surrounded by these remnants of humanity, felt their icy presence leech the warmth from flesh, the hope from the soul. As the night pressed forward, the spirits clamored. They sought attention, recognition, anything to prove their existence had meaning. Some threw themselves against the night, their touch a frost that threatened to sap the vigor of life and leave the night as one more shadow among the countless others. Others gazed with eyes that begged for release, for an end to the eternal languish that was their torment. The cavern floor was littered with relics of the past, objects of affection and ambition, now nothing but trinkets in a tomb.
the knight navigated a path through the debris of lives unlived, each item a testament to a soul's plight, a story unfinished. To succumb to sorrow here was to become part of the cavern's tapestry of tragedy. The knight, donning the armor of resolve, warded off the despairing spirits with the light that still flickered within, a light that refused to be smothered by the sorrow of this place. The passage through the cavern of lost spirits was not a journey of distance but of endurance, a test to see if one could witness such profound loss and still hold on to hope. Emerging from the cavern, the knight carried the chill of the spirit's touch, a cold that had seeped into bone, a constant companion and reminder of the fate that awaited should the knight falter. The journey through the abyss had become more than a rescue, it was now a pilgrimage, a passage through the stages of grief and struggle, a testament to the resilience against an all-consuming despair. Emerging from the melancholic grasp of the cavern of lost spirits, the knight entered a dominion contrasting the barren sorrow left behind. Here was a vast grotto, its expanses hidden by a labyrinth of silken threads, a web that glistened with the allure of a deadly art. The web of lies, as the abyss whispered it to be known, was spun from the deceptions that had sunk into the very soil of this cursed realm. These were not the mere strands of spiders but the weavings of the abyss itself, each a filament of falsehood, a thread of treachery. The web stretched out in all directions, a three-dimensional maze that enticed the night to venture deeper into its ensnaring embrace. To look upon the web was to see beauty, its patterns intricate and mesmerizing, but to touch it was to be trapped by its beguiling snare. The air within the grotto was thick with the magic of illusion, each breath drawn laced with the potential to believe in realities that were not. The knight moved cautiously, aware that the eyes could be deceived, that each sense could be betrayed by the enchantment that permeated this place. The webs played out scenes of the past and possible futures, some of warmth and light, others of darkness and despair, each designed to captivate and mislead. In this maze, the knight encountered reflections of the self, images of the knight in states of glory and infamy, in victory and defeat. Each reflection spun from the web sought to manipulate, to lure the knight into accepting these fates woven by the abyss's malice. It was a test of discernment, to recognize the lies from truths, to see the webs for what they were, traps meant to entangle the spirit in a prison of doubt. With the blade that had cut through darkness and stone, the knight now used the edge of will to cleave through deception. It was a careful navigation, for each strand severed was a lie rejected, a false future dispelled. The knight's resolve served as the only guide, a compass that pointed toward what was real, duty, honor, and the faint, unyielding flicker of hope that had been a companion since the journey began. As the knight navigated the web of lies, the very fabric of the maze seemed to recoil, as if aware of the futility in attempting to ensnare such a will. The illusions became desperate, more vivid and insistent, but the knight moved with a purpose that rendered these efforts feeble and transparent. Each step taken was a truth affirmed, a lie undone. Beyond the labyrinthine webs, the knight emerged with a clarity sharpened by the trials faced. The web of lies had intended to entrap the knight in a quagmire of falsehoods but instead fortified the resolve to seek out and uphold truth, no matter how deeply it was buried in deceit. The journey continued, the path now winding toward the deepest sanctum of the abyss, where the greatest challenge awaited, 
the confrontation with the ultimate truth of the knight's own making. Having unraveled the web of lies, the knight stood at the verge of a region where darkness was more than an absence of light, it was a tangible presence that craved to envelop all. This was the realm of the embrace of shadows, a place where the very essence of night sought to hold dominion over the spirit. The air was thick and stagnant, heavy with a darkness that seemed to pulse with silent life. It clung to the night like a shroud, an intimate garment woven from the absence of hope. The obsidian walls of the abyss seemed to close in, eager to crush the lone figure that dared to walk where even shadows hesitated to tread. It was here the night encountered the shadows, not mere lackeys of the dark, but entities in their own right, architects of despair. They coiled around the night, tendrils of blackness that whispered sweet nothings of surrender and oblivion. To wear the embrace of shadows was to forget the pain of existence, to relinquish the burdens of consciousness and become one with the eternal dark. With each step, the knight could feel the shadow's embrace tightening, a lover's caress that promised to extinguish all fear, all pain, all uncertainty. The power granted by the abyss churned within, a turmoil of light and dark, each battling for supremacy. It would have been easy, too easy, to let go and allow the darkness to consume the lingering light of the soul. But the knight's journey had been one of defiance, a continuous rebellion against the very essence of the abyss. Within the embrace, a war raged not with sword and shield but with will and resolve. The knight's heart, though shrouded in darkness, beat with the rhythm of an indomitable spirit that would not yield to the seductive lull of the abyss. This internal struggle was invisible to the eye, yet it was as perilous as any physical combat the knight had faced. With each resisted urge to succumb, the knight's humanity flickered like a candle in a storm, threatening to be snuffed out, yet persistently igniting despite the odds. To emerge from the embrace of shadows was to be reborn, each step away from its influence a step toward the light of self. The shadows receded, not because they were defeated, but because they recognized that the knight's spirit was not one to be dimmed. It was a testament to the resilience of the knight, a triumph of light within darkness. The path ahead grew clearer, the oppressive weight of the shadows lessened, as if in acknowledgement of the knight's perseverance. There was a new strength in the knight's stride, a power derived not from the dark whispers or the seductive promises of ease but from an inner conviction that even the deepest shadow could not extinguish. The knight's journey through the embrace of shadows had been a crucible, a purification through trial that left the essence of the knight distilled, focused, and ready to face the heart of the abyss. Ahead lay the ultimate test, the culmination of all that the knight had endured, a final confrontation with the darkness that had become as much a part of the knight as the very armor they wore. After emerging from the embrace of shadows, the knight's path led to an expanse that was a void within a void, a hollow within the abyss that was reserved for transactions of a most sinister nature. This was the Chamber of Offerings, a place where the darkness of the abyss demanded tribute in exchange for passage. Here, the abyssal magic swirled with an intensity that suggested a consciousness behind the malevolence, a hunger for something more precious than flesh, a sliver of the night's very essence. At the center of the chamber stood an altar, stark against the swirling darkness that seemed almost hesitant to touch its surface. The altar was an anathema to the night, 
an antithesis to the sanctity of the light, a stone that thrived on sacrifice, not of blood, but of memories, of parts of oneself that once lost, could never be reclaimed. As the night approached, the air grew dense, a pressure against the mind rather than the body. The darkness around the altar stirred, shaping into forms both familiar and jarring. It was the visage of the past, faces and moments that the night had cherished. Each spectre was an echo of a memory that the night held dear, a part of their identity that had guided them through the trials of life. The abyss, through these apparitions, communicated its demand. To continue, to reach where the monarch was held, the knight had to give up a piece of their past, to willingly feed the altar a fragment of what made them who they were. It was a ransom for the soul, a piece of humanity to sate the abyss's endless hunger. The knight stood before the altar, the spectres of memory now reaching out, not to threaten but to beckon. They were ready to be offered up, to dissolve into the stone and be lost forever. It was a tormenting choice, to hold on to the entirety of the self but remain forever in darkness or to sacrifice a portion of one's history for the faint hope of salvation. With the weight of the decision bearing down like the mountains themselves, the knight made a choice. An offering was placed upon the cold stone, an ephemeral piece of the knight's life, a moment of pure joy, untainted by the toil and suffering that had followed. As the memory touched the altar, it shimmered with a light that was quickly smothered by the darkness, consumed by the void. The knight felt the loss immediately, a hollow gap in the tapestry of their life where that memory had once been, a missing note in the symphony of their existence. There was no pain, only a numbness, a void that no thought could fill. It was a sacrifice of profound significance, for what are we, if not the sum of our memories? With the offering accepted, the chamber began to change. Walls shifted, the air lightened, and a passage opened, a way forward, deeper into the abyss. The night walked on, each step a reminder of the cost of this journey, each breath a testament to the sacrifices made. The loss of the memory was a wound to the night spirit, but in its absence, a new resolve was forged. The night had been diminished but not defeated, lessened but not lost. There was still a mission to complete, a monarch to rescue, and a darkness to defy. The journey was far from over, and the night, though bearing the scars of sacrifice, was not yet broken. Past the chamber of offerings, where echoes of the night's relinquished joy still lingered, lay the threshold. It was not a mere doorway but a moor to the penultimate sanctum of the abyss, guarded by the embodiment of despair itself. The threshold was a vortex, its edges lined with the phantoms of tormented souls that had been consumed by their own hopelessness. Here was a force that repelled both light and shadow, a paradoxical sentinel that existed solely to deny passage to all who bore the burden of hope. The guardian of this threshold was not a creature of flesh or bone but an amalgam of the fears and doubts that had plagued the night throughout the journey. It was despair given form, a roiling, shifting spectre that mirrored the night's deepest anxieties. Its eyes were pits of despair, its form a tapestry of terror, each strand a nightmare woven from the depths of the night's subconscious. To confront this being was to confront the self. Every stride the night had taken through the abyss, every battle fought, every sacrifice made, had led to this confrontation. The air was a tempest of psychic energy, 
charged with the power of uncounted souls who had surrendered to the abyss, and now the knight stood before this force, bearing the accumulated burdens of the quest. The threshold demanded acknowledgement of its power, a submission to the futility of the struggle against the encompassing darkness. The air itself was thick with the weight of inevitability, pressing against the knight's armor as if to crush the very hope that had fueled this odyssey. Yet the knight did not falter, clad in the remnants of armor and the indomitable will that had refused to be extinguished, the knight stood firm. Here, at the boundary of the end, the knight faced the guardian with a heart that refused to yield to despair. It was a battle not for the body but for the essence, a struggle to maintain the conviction that had propelled the knight deeper into darkness than any before. This battle was fought in silence, a silent war of spirit against the suffocating cloak of despondency. The knight, with each moment that passed, resisted the tendrils of despair that sought to erode the resolve that had been the bedrock of this quest. The struggle was Herculean, as the knight held fast to the sliver of light that remained, a beacon that defied the overwhelming darkness. And then, as if the effort of will had touched something ancient and powerful within the heart of the abyss, the threshold began to relent. The vortex that had seemed impenetrable began to wane, the spectre of despair recoiled, and the souls that lined the passage wailed in a pitch that spoke of a long-awaited release from their torment. The way forward opened, not with a fanfare of light but with a subtle lessening of darkness, a grudging acceptance that the night would not be turned away. The night stepped across the threshold, leaving behind the guardian of despair, who now bowed its head in a semblance of respect for the tenacity of the human spirit. This passage through the threshold had been the ultimate test of the knight's will. It was a trial by soul, a purification through resolve that allowed the knight to step beyond despair and into the sanctum of the abyss, where the final challenge awaited. The knight, though drained by the ordeal, was sustained by the unwavering hope that the end of this journey was at hand, and with it, the return of the light to the kingdom. Beyond the threshold, within the deepest sanctum of the abyss, was a vast chamber where the air thrummed with the power of unbridled darkness. It was here, in this throne room of shadows, that the monarch was held, not by chains, but by the very essence of the abyssal magic, tendrils of corruption that wound around the sovereign like a lover's embrace turned suffocating. The monarch, once a beacon of light and hope, now appeared diminished, a figure of regality ensnared by the creeping doom that sought to extinguish the kingdom's last vestige of light. The chamber itself seemed to pulse with a malignant awareness, its walls adorned with twisted sculptures that celebrated the fall from grace, a gallery of the abyss's triumphs over purity. The knight stepped forward, the abyssal power coursing through veins, a dark fire that was both ally and adversary. The shadows sensed the presence of their kin within the night and hesitated, a momentary lapse that betrayed surprise and recognition. In this chamber, the knight was both intruder and kin, a paradox that confused the denizens of the deep. An assembly of horrors, creatures born from the darkest corners of fear and malice, stood between the knight and the monarch. They were the abyss's most loyal servants, beings that had never known the light of the surface, whose very existence was a hymn to darkness. Their forms were nightmarish, an amalgamation of what the mind found most foul and the heart most feared. The knight, amidst this maelstrom of dark power, was a solitary figure of defiance.
With the ancient blade in hand, the knight fought not just for the monarch, but for redemption, for every step taken deeper into the abyssal night. The blade, once a mere tool of combat, now glowed with a resonance that was a reflection of the knight's indomitable will. Each swing cut through shadow and sinew as though it were cleaving through the night that had fallen over the kingdom. With every foe vanquished, the chamber seemed to recoil, as if the knight's actions were rewriting the narrative of darkness. Each victory was a refusal to succumb to the fate that the abyss had woven. The knight fought on the precipice of sanity, each move a dance with madness, driven by the sliver of hope that remained tethered to a heart that refused to yield. As the last of the creatures fell, the chamber grew quiet, the anticipation of a reckoning hanging thick in the air. The knight approached the monarch, whose eyes, though clouded by the touch of darkness, still held the faintest glint of recognition and sorrow. It was a silent exchange, a moment of shared understanding that the end of one journey was the beginning of another. But it was not to be a moment of simple triumph, for the abyss stirred with anger, its prize being torn from its grasp. In a final act of spite, the darkness within the night surged, seeking to overwhelm the weary spirit that had borne so much. The knight could feel the abyssal power threatening to break free, to consume not only the liberator but also the liberated. The monarch, in a moment of clarity and strength that defied the corruption that bound them, reached out. With a touch, a transfer commenced, an act of sovereign sacrifice. The monarch absorbed the knight's corruption, taking the darkness into themselves, a willing vessel to spare the knight from the fate that had loomed since the journey began. This act was the monarch's final ruling, a decree of light over darkness. The chamber shook, the abyss howled, and the tendrils that held the monarch dissipated into nothingness. The knight, freed from the abyssal influence, was left bereft of the dark power but also of the madness that had threatened to consume. In the wake of this act, the knight returned to the surface, carrying the monarch whose light was now dimmed but not extinguished. The kingdom would mourn the twilight of their monarch but celebrate the dawn of their champion, a hero who had descended into night, danced with shadows, and emerged into the light once more. The knight had emerged from the abyss with the monarch in arms, stepping into the dim light of a dawn that seemed unsure of its own warmth. The kingdom, which had held its breath in the shadow of despair, now exhaled a sigh of tentative relief. But this was no ordinary morning, the light that caressed the land was not the pure glow of days past but a muted radiance that whispered of sacrifice. As they crossed the threshold from darkness into the half-light, the knight felt the monarch's weight grow heavier, a testament to the gravity of the final act within the abyss's sanctum. The monarch had taken into themselves the entirety of the knight's corruption, an act of selfless sovereignty that had purged the knight of the abyssal taint but at a dire cost. The kingdom's people gathered, their faces a mosaic of hope and dread, as they beheld their returned ruler. They saw not the vibrant leader of yore but a figure marked by the deepest shadows, a monarch whose very essence had become a vessel for the darkness that had once threatened to consume them all. And yet, there was a peace about the monarch, a serene acceptance of the price that had been paid for their people's future. Word of the monarch's sacrifice spread like a zephyr through the kingdom, and a new legend was born. A tale not of a ruler restored, but of a champion who had descended into the abyss and returned, not with spoils, but with salvation. 
The knight had gone seeking to reclaim a beacon of light but had instead become one, the very embodiment of the kingdom's enduring spirit. The knight, standing amidst the people, felt the hollow where the darkness had once resided, an emptiness that ached with every heartbeat. For in the act of salvation, the knight had been severed from the abyssal power that had been both boon and bane. The clarity that came with this severance was a piercing truth, that the knight had returned diminished in might but elevated in legend. And here, beneath the muted dawn, the people saw the knight not as a figure diminished but as a champion reborn, one whose sacrifice had mirrored that of their monarch. Murmurs rose among the crowd, a swelling chorus that called for the knight to ascend as their new sovereign, to take the place of the monarch whose light now flickered in the twilight of their reign. The monarch, with a voice that resonated with the echoes of the abyss yet carried the warmth of the undying sun, refused to allow the knight to decline. With a decree that was both farewell and coronation, the monarch abdicated the throne, bestowing it upon the knight with a wisdom that came from the communion with darkness and light. The kingdom had expected to celebrate the return of their monarch, instead, they witnessed the rise of a champion whose reign would be forged from the understanding of both shadow and dawn. As the knight knelt to accept the crown, a crown that was a band of light against the lingering touch of darkness, a new era was heralded, one of balance, where the abyssal depths served as a memory of the cost of peace and the value of sacrifice. Thus, the monarch became the guardian of the kingdom's dusk, a silent watcher whose twilight gaze held the vigil against the darkness, while the champion ascended as the sovereign of the dawn, a ruler who had seen the deepest night and would guide the kingdom into the light of a new day. The abyss had not claimed a victim but had given rise to a savior, a twist of fate that would be the kingdom's legacy for generations to come.